Welcome back to the Esquire Q&A podcast, a show where we sit down with men and women who exhibit both style and substance. Our guest today is Mansour Al-Shaher, the first Saudi Arabian pro wrestler to be signed to WWE. A true trailblazer, the Saudi-born Mansour has had a whirlwind of the last 18 months, taking him from an independent wrestler is signing with the world's largest pro wrestling brand, the WWE. In that time, he's won the largest ever battle royale by outlasting 48 other men at WWE Super Showdown, the event in Jeddah last year. And now he is a full-time member of the NXT roster. We spoke to him recently during a trip to Dubai to find out more about his trailblazing story. Enjoy. All right, we are here with uh, with Mansoor from the uh, WWE superstar Mansoor. So you're connected to the NXT brand of uh, of the WWE, and are the have the defined title as being the first Saudi, officially first Saudi WWE superstar. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that is uh, also something that I haven't fully been able to process, even in the year that I've been a part of the company. Sure, <laughs> uh, it's been so uh, incredible and. A lot of people say, like, is the pressure getting to you? That pressure of, of having to succeed, being the first. And my answer is always, no, not really. I, I don't really think about it much. <laughs> sure. I, I liken it a lot to the feeling of being in the ring when you're being watched. You're the center of attention of tens of thousands of people. Mm. Um, the first time it happened to me was at Greatest Royal Rumble, where I wasn't even signed with the company. I was just a part of the tryout, mm. and they announced me and three others as the top four prospects. And I got to cut a promo in the ring. I got to speak to the audience. And it was the most people I had been in the ring in front of easily in my life, let alone spoken in front of. Sure. And for some reason, it was the least amount of nerves I've ever gotten in wrestling. Because I have performed now at Super Showdown. I was in the Battle Royal and I performed in front of tens of thousands of people. And before that, on the indies in America, uh, before WWE, I've, I've wrestled in front of 10 people. Uh, maybe even less. <laughs> so, so putting in front of 60,000 people in Jeddah is a... Yeah. Um, but for some reason, when you're in front of six, 60 people, hmm. the pressure is higher because everything is so scrutinized, it feels like. It feels like, if you, it feels like if you make a little bit of noise, everyone will just stop and listen. You know what I mean? Whereas in front of 60,000, there's a constant buzz in the air. Energy, noise, sound. So you don't necessarily feel like everything revolves around you, even though 60,000 people are looking right at you. Sure. You kind of forget every individual person and just think there's just a wall of people and a wall of noise and it constitutes one source of energy. Mm. Uh, I don't know why I'm getting like so hippie about it, but <laughs> it's, it's very surreal and strange to think about, let alone describe. Mm. So I liken that to the feeling of being the first Saudi to represent... Um, the region in NXT and WWE in general because it's so big I can't even really fully comprehend it. I just have to be like that's a presence in my life and that's always going to be there and I'm just going to try to succeed as much as possible and and I don't think I'll let anybody down. I, I, I really do my best. I feel that if I work as hard as I possibly can for myself mm. then it will ultimately result in making everyone proud. Sure. Um, because if I try to be the best performer 
for everyone else, I may not necessarily play to my greatest strengths. Um, so it's a, it's a delicate strategy. Sure. Yeah. So you mentioned that, so, so tell us the, you know, the abbreviated journey of you being in that ring mm -hmm. at Greatest Royal Rumble. Um, because you, you were working in the Indies, you were doing a bit of training in the US. Mm -hmm. uh, and then how, how did that kind of connection come between you and the WWE and from, from uh, where did you get started? Yeah, well, um, I guess because my career is so intrinsically linked to Saudi Arabia, I should begin with growing up in Saudi Arabia, I uh, was a huge fan of WWE, mostly because my older brother, Talal, he introduced me to WWE. We played so much No Mercy on the N64, <laughs> so much, and I loved uh, SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain. That yeah. was my generation's No Mercy. Yeah. And I played that with all my friends, and all my friends were wrestling fans. Mm. We were obsessed. Even though we didn't necessarily get the programming consistently all mm. the time, we were still obsessed with getting the pay-per-views, going on .com, checking results. Uh, it, was, it was really all we did, played wrestling video games and watched wrestling. So it was always something that was in my life. Mm. Um, and then I moved to America when I was about 11 and, uh, it's always been a little bit difficult because there was a feeling I had when I moved to America because I wasn't, I wasn't a complete stranger to America. You know, my mother was American, mm -hmm. so I would of, often go back and forth. Um, but there were times when I felt and was sort of treated too Saudi to be American, but also too American to be Saudi. Um, I've always sort of had to juggle with that, but at the same time, it was a complete privilege of mine and, quite frankly, a, a huge uh, advantage that I was able to get training because at the tryout in Jeddah, I was the only person there who had previous experience. Okay. So that was huge, even though I was probably the least physically imposing. <laughs> well, I was watching the show and I remember it, you know, yeah. but I, you know, it sounds a bit twee to say now, but I remember you standing out it looking like there was confidence there mm -hmm. that the others didn't have. You looked mm -hmm. at home. I was at home. That's where I feel the most confident. That's mm. where I feel like what I was born to do is, is what I can do. Mm. Um, but actually, the, the way that I got into the tryout, there was a possibility that it never even happened because of me. Um, I was wrestling on the independence uh, a year after college. And, I, you know, it was my first full-time year of wrestling on the independence because I had started when I was in high school. But, of course, I had school. When I went to college, it, there were breaks taken in between. So this was my first time doing it full time. And when I was thinking about realistically when I was gonna be able to achieve my dream of getting into WWE, I was like, well, a lot of people have to go to Japan or get signed to another major company. And I didn't see that for myself for at least five to even 10 years. Mm. I was like, man, I'm gonna have to confront the fact that I probably won't be able to be in WWE until I'm like 30, maybe late 20s, mm. like a lot of people do. And then I get a call from my older brother, the same one introduced me to yep. WWE saying, dude, they are doing tryouts in Saudi Arabia. You have to have to come. I was like, what do you mean? They have a deal with the company now where they're going to put on big shows and they need to have Saudi talent. And I was like, they're not going to want me. There's no way they're going to want me. Mm. I've been in America for so long. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to fly me all the way out there. They probably want, you know, bodybuilders, mm. you know, football players, um, uh, you know, people who aren't in wrestling because a lot of times that is what they look for in the, these international tryouts. Mm. And he was like, dude, if you pass this up, I'm never going to forgive you. And mm. I was like, fine, you, fill, out, fill out my application. Do it for me. <laughs> they, they want the Saudi great curly. That's yeah. what you were thinking. You know, exactly. It was that element of like, 
spectacle. We want a spectacle or, or we want someone who we feel we can start from scratch. Yeah. Because you never know if they're just going to be unwilling to un make you unlearn everything you already know. Because I don't know, maybe I was very confident in, in myself. I believed I picked things up very well. But I don't know what the style is at the performance center. I don't know if they're going to be like, this, this kid sucks. Mm. So especially if I went to the tryout as the only person with experience and they go, you've got it all wrong. Yeah. We don't want to have to reteach you. Yeah. Um, but my brother, Talal, he said, no, I'm going to fill out the application and you're going to go. And I was like, fine, whatever. I didn't think I would get it. Absolutely not. And then the next day I get a call saying, we're flying you out to Saudi Arabia. You're coming for this tryout in Jeddah. And I was like, Duh, what? <laughs> like, this is really happening? Mm. And I remember it being such a surreal experience because in my mind, I had to treat it this way. I said to myself, this is your only chance at getting in this company. This is your only shot. If you never get another tryout for the rest of your life, don't you dare ever say you didn't do every single thing you could possibly do sure. to achieve your dream. And I, I mean, I've never put myself through so much. I mean, the, the physical... The intensity of the workouts and the drills we did in the ring, mm. and not just doing them, doing them well, doing them better than everyone else, mm. which is what I tried to do. Because there is nothing like wrestling in terms of cardio and conditioning like wrestling. Fun. You can run on a treadmill, you can do laps, but when you have to do drop down leapfrog drills mm. over sandbags and pick them up and slam them, and you have to carry people around a ring, that stuff is almost exclusive to what we do. Yeah. So even though it seemed like I was the least athletic person there, I was running circles around guys. Cool. And that was what I intended to do. I mean, Matt Bloom, we were doing this drill where we would have our hands on the ropes in the corner and mm -hmm. do high knees. Yeah. And when he blew a whistle, you'd have to drop down. They called it grape smashers right. <laughs> because you're slamming your pelvis into the ring, getting right back up and doing high knees again. And man, I was throwing my knees like above my head, like trying to do this best possible way. He blew the whistle. I'd slam to the ground, push myself back up. And he came right up to me and he said, I'm going to watch you this whole time. We're going to do it for like two minutes and I'm going to blow the whistle and every time I'm going to watch how you do and if you give up on me like you better not and he's just right there staring at me and I'm like I, I like my heart's like beating so fast I'm so blown up and I just have to push hard if it kills me because I had convinced myself that this was it this is what I had to do I had so much to prove as the only person with experience because if I wasn't well and beyond everyone else yeah. then it wasn't worth their time sure because I, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't expect them to ever settle for mediocrity. Yeah. I would not want to be that, that sort of, um, well, I guess he has some experience. He's not great. We'll just wait for the other guys to surpass him. Well, it's a great thing. It's such an individualistic career as well. Because yes. you're, you're there, you have this massive, <clears throat> once you get signed, you have this massive machine, corporate machine behind you, but it's the biggest promotion there absolute leaders in their field of, in terms of entertainment, live entertainment show. But every week, week on week, you have to be the best at what you can do because you need to prove that you're on that level and there's only a certain number of slots, right? So did you feel that constant pressure? In or, the tryout or after? In general, yeah, yeah, after I suppose. Yeah. Especially in the tryout because you know you needed to show that you were there to have that element to get signed. Absolutely. But then since then, I assume it's just that continuous kind of, well, I'm sure you're there's a contract and everything that you have a certain time, but you know, you, you, do you feel that there's a constant need to show that you're uh, on a level above everyone else or trying to get on that level above everyone else? Absolutely. I mean, when, when I, and whenever I get an opportunity on NXT television mm. to show what I can really do, because that's really the only time Triple H is watching what sure. you can do. 
I mean, he has to take the word from the coaches who watch the live events we do in Florida. Yeah. We go all around Florida. We call it the Coconut Loop, nice. where we go to armories and, and various venues and wrestle for a smaller crowd, and it's non-televised. And the coaches are producers there, and they write reports on who does well, what people have to work on, such and such. Mm. But the only time Triple H will ever really see you mm. perform is at those uh, NXT television tapings. Yeah. Now they're going to be live, but previously we'd, we'd tape four episodes in one day. So it'd be a long day of watching wrestling. Sure. And I would get a three-minute match, maybe less, and I knew I had to do something to at least make Triple H and people watching think, maybe there's more to this Monsoor kid than people really know. Mm. Maybe there's something where if he's given the opportunity to really let loose, he's going to surprise us all. Mm. And I was working so hard on things that I probably wouldn't even get to do on television because I knew one day, if I was ever given the opportunity to just go crazy, I would have a ton of stuff in the bank. I would have so many tricks up my sleeve, and I still do. Sure. Uh, I I still have all those tricks up my sleeve because you never know when that opportunity is going to present itself. Mm. There was a constant desire at all times to get better pretty much with everyone in the performance center. Mm. I mean, uh, you never want to feel like you're just stagnating because everyone is so ambitious that they constantly want to be given the opportunity to prove they're on that other level. Mm. And it's great because even though it is an individ uh, individualistic career, when you're in there in the ring with someone who wants to do just as well as you, you make each other better yep. because... It's that trust you have to have in your opponent to make you look good as well as you making them look good that ultimately increases the stock of everyone involved. Mm. It's a very interesting uh, dynamic for your opponent to be your greatest partner. Mm. Um, otherwise, I mean, the best wrestler in the world can go against someone who isn't going to work with them and they'll look like garbage mm. because that's just the nature of the beast. Sure. So you have to have that trust in people as well as confidence in your own ability. The... It sounds like a weird one, but you know, for for say a less kind of woke uh, wrestling crowd, I sure. suppose. How do you how do you explain to people what you do? Like, mm. if they don't know what the WWE is, or they do, but they're not aware. You know, people will say, "I remember watching wrestling in the eighties. Like, yeah. I get a lot of that when I talk about my wrestling fandom. So, so yeah, how do you explain it to people? The very simplistic uh, example I use is. Do you like Marvel? Do you like the superhero movies? Are, everyone says yes, of course. <laughs> I say, well, imagine if Iron Man and Thanos had their fight, but it wasn't on the screen. It was in an arena. And in the middle of the arena, they had their fight, and everyone around you is watching, and it's live. There's no director. There's no cuts. There's no takes. Whatever happens, happens, and you get to experience all of it. Sure. That's basically what wrestling is. It's live spectacle, combat, performance. It's so hard to compare what we do to anything else because it is so unique in itself. Mm -hmm. All I know is that anytime someone who doesn't really know what wrestling is comes to a wrestling show, they're always blown away. They're always blown away. They're like, wow, I didn't know it was that awesome because it's a show. And it's the greatest show on earth, easily the greatest show on earth. People have no idea how fun it is. My family, I mean, everyone besides my older brother is like, uh, wrestling, I don't know, right, whatever. Sure. Yeah, I guess I'll go to the show to support Monsoor. And they're on their feet. Like there's a video of my, my father who spends 90% of his day reading newspapers like on the couch, yeah. on his feet, <laughs> cheering and clapping. <laughs> and and that, is, that is exactly what I want for, for everybody in the world, not just wrestling fans. People who see it for the first time and think, wow, I can't believe I've been missing this my entire life. 
Do you think that the the impact of the so you know there's been two shows, big shows in Saudi. There's more kind of coming up into the contract uh, to the to the agreement between Saudi and the WWE. Do you do you feel or have you got feedback that it's developing there in terms of wrestling? Is 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 it growing? Are there wrestling schools opening there? Is that is that that element? Has it created that kind of grassroots excitement there? Mm. Especially that's you know. If that happens, you have a lot to do with that. People have literally seen from the first show of three three guys from Saudi in the ring. A few, few days later, a few weeks later, one of them gets signed, you know, yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's that element of, have you heard that there's actually, that started to kind of like take fruit and kind of uh, grow over there? I think um, there's always been very, very small promotions sure. who they've always kind of struggled to find their footing in the Middle East because there's no schools here. Yeah. There's no way to get training. So they have to go to the UK or, or, or wherever to get a foundational knowledge of what it is and then develop here when they want to put on shows. And it's difficult. It is very difficult. Um, to my knowledge, I don't know if there are any schools in the region, but I will say this. The more we can acclimate people in Saudi Arabia to the culture of professional wrestling and integrate it into the culture of Saudi Arabia, the more it's going to be accepted and widely considered uh, acceptable to become a professional wrestler and to pursue that as a career. Mm. Um, I, be- I believe that there'll, there'll be a performance center somewhere in the Middle East, most likely Saudi Arabia, for, for all Arab talent to really develop and be cultivated because it is such an incredible market. It was always an underrated market for professional wrestling. From my older brother loving Bret Hart, you know, to me and, and all my friends in middle school uh, <laughs> cheering for Edge over John Cena. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were little Saudi kids in a traditional, you know, conservative country. And we were like, yeah, rated our superstar. Like, you know what I mean? And there was always that obsession with The Undertaker. I mean, it's like, a, that's a culture. That's like the one cultural thing that people are always like, Hey, like wrestling, I was like, people are like, Undertaker, you know, yeah, like they yeah. love The Undertaker, that, that mythical, mystical presence that you can experience live is always something that people are captivated by. Um, I think, you know, my father, when I told him that I wanted to be a professional wrestler, he didn't prevent it from happening, mm-hmm. but he didn't necessarily respect it because in his perception, the only experience he had with wrestling was he was in America and he went to a wrestling show and there was a sheikh, there was a sheikh character who yeah, okay. was sort of the bumbling villainous fool. Yeah. And that taught him from his first experience that wrestling isn't for us. Fine. Uh, when it's reflected, uh, when it's reflecting Arabs, uh, that's the character that is put forward and therefore it's not something he would want his son to do. Sure. But with the shows here, I mean, like I said, he was on his feet screaming because yeah. he got to see not only his son, but a Saudi. Mm be presented in a positive light, mm. not as a villain, and not even just completely defined by where he comes from. Sure. Just as an influence to who they are, but, but still, they're their own person. I'm my own person. Mm. And I think that's what sort of changes mind about it. And that's what I want to do for an entire generation of Saudis sure. who might necess- not necessarily believe that wrestling is something that they should consider to be respectable or even acceptable. Mm. The more you can say, no, this is something that we can link to the youth, and not even the youth, but everyone that watches and everyone that loves it, the more people will say, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I want my kids to be wrestlers or kids saying, I think that this is a realistic goal. Like this is a future that I can, that I can strive for. Mm. We just have to make it so that there's a desire for that so that the resources present itself at a certain point. It happened in India with, you know, there's a wrestling school in India um, because it became known that there was a market for it. So eventually it definitely will happen. 
Yeah, well, that, you, you know, you mentioned that element of, of you know, that your, your dad went to see the Sheikh and then it was, it, you know, there was Iron Sheikh and Nikolai Volkov and the mm. whole idea was America good, everyone Yoko else Zuna, bad. Yeah, you know, everybody, a, yeah. You know, even at one point, you, you know, Bret Hart and the... Uh, Canadian, yeah, you know, it was just like, yeah, literally yeah. just north of the border uh, <laughs> is bad as well. Our next door neighbors. Team Canada would Lance Storm and that kind of thing. Yeah, that's you, right. Um, but then now you have, you know, is you have like Ali, you have yeah. yourself, you know, characters that aren't defined by by where they're from yeah. or race or religion, and it's just looked upon in a much more kind of global level, which is mm-hmm. only a positive thing, and gives, I presume, gives you much more scope in where your career goes. Because there is that element and they're, you know, very open to you being a good guy, mm. you being a bad guy, you being somewhere in the middle, you being in tag teams, you being sick, you know, like, you're not pigeonholed by that anymore. And I imagine that is, that's, you know, only a positive thing for, for you creatively. Yeah, it's huge. Um, you know, I'm asked sometimes, like, oh, how does it feel to be representing Arabs in this way that isn't stereotyped? And I was like, Ali, Sami Zayn, Mojo Rawley, they've been doing it way before me. Yeah. Like, there are guys who have been pioneering this. Like, Sammy, I consider to be a huge pioneer because when I was in high school, he joined NXT. Actually, my first ever NXT live event, I was in Florida for vacation, and I got to see him wrestle. And that was one of the coolest experiences for me because I, I really do consider him an inspiration because he's an amazing wrestler. Yeah. Um, in, in every sense, and an amazing performer in every sense of the word. And a really good guy. Yeah, yeah, and and speaking of that, like Mojo has had me over for dinner at his house with and his family. You know, uh, Ali was someone who really, really gave me a lot of really good advice at Super Showdown backstage. He didn't have to at all, but he yeah. he went into in depth conversation with me, helping me, making sure that I, I I knew exactly how to navigate my way around the main roster locker room because it's a completely different beast from NXT. I bet. Huh? Yeah. So, man, they're all they're all such good guys and. To, to if I can help in any way with, with what they're doing, if we as a collective can just be ourselves mm. and be the best performers we can possibly be while also rise, uh, raising everyone else uh, to... I mean, Ali, he's constantly talking about... There's a hijabi wrestler, I think, in Malaysia. There's mm. a, a woman who wrestles in a hijab. And that's like, that's amazing. Like, that's something that was completely unheard of. Sure. Like, when I was growing up in, in Riyadh, I couldn't even imagine being at a wrestling show because it'd be like, well, I guess it'd have to be, I'll be men. I guess all the men would have to be watching, but I, I want my sisters to come. I sure. want people, I want, you know? And when I was at Greatest Royal Rumble, it was the first time I'd ever seen, ever in my life in Saudi Arabia, a large space where men and women together could experience something. And I think that's wonderful. I really do. Hugely. It's, it's funny because, you know, with the, the cultural... I, I, want to handle this sensitively but with the kind of cultural opening up if you will of, of Saudi and kind of um, in the last few years with Mohammed bin Salman it's it, what I found was amazing as a wrestling fan was one of the big ways into they did was have a WWE show mm-hmm. and it shows the impact that it has there and as you said is that the first time is probably one of the first times that there ever was that kind of mix of men and women at a live event shown there and it's a uh, it's a massive cultural landmark, and mm-hmm. to be involved in that is, is pretty special. For oh, absolutely! I like you know, there's there's a lot of uh, opinion. People have a lot of opinions about the Saudi shows. Like that, I'm, I'll, I'll never ignore that. Sure, but I will say this, and I mean, I truly do believe we'll see women perform in Saudi Arabia in sure. a WWE ring, I, and that is what I hope, because I mean, 
my little sisters and I watched SummerSlam 2013 when Daniel Bryan Amazing. beat John Cena. Yeah. And that was what inspired me to become a wrestler because I didn't think I would ever be a wrestler before that. I, I wanted to be in the business. I wanted to be maybe a manager, a referee. Yeah. But that was when I was decided, man, I, if I want to be a wrestler, I just got to become the best wrestler in the world. And there's no way, like, even if I consider myself too skinny or, or, or I just have to work hard and I can achieve it. Like, I think that potential is in every single person in the world. It might be harder for some people. It might be easier for some people. But if you put in the work, you can, you can achieve that. Um, and I wanted my sisters to be able to see because they were such huge wrestling fans and that they, they love the women. Like, I know there are so many. My niece um, who, who, who lives in Riyadh, I have three nieces. And I want them to be able to go to the wrestling shows and see the women that they love perform. And I think that that can only happen when, like I said earlier, the culture is more familiar with what wrestling is. Sure. Because once it's a more commonly accepted um, spectacle, then people will say, oh, this is part of it. It's okay. Um, we saw it in Abu Dhabi with Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss. Mm -hmm. I think that this is the sort of tacky expression I use, but progress is like a staircase. You can't jump every step. You have to go one step at a time. And I, I understand why people would say, no, it should be right, right now. Mm -hmm. Everything should be the way it is in America right, right now. But I think what people don't understand is that there are actually a lot of people in the public who might push back against it, not necessarily course, just yeah. higher up. So we have to slowly integrate that so that people are more accepting, I believe. Yeah, 100%. We, uh, on, on a bit of a, a tangent onto that, we, how much kind of creative input and kind of do you have into the, the Mansell character what you're wearing you're the you know you're wearing a new t-shirt yeah you know you've got yeah this you've is got really new, cool I, I did not expect this yeah. to be a thing ever yeah. you've, you've got new merch on which yeah. uh, we'll have links to don't worry for people listening to this um, and the so how much input of that is is yours and, and I, I know there's creatives and design teams and things but you know it's uh, that's the question that I'm always fascinated about about mm. Who gets to pick the ring tie, the music, the, the, the designs and everything? Sure. Uh, well, I can tell you with the shirt, the creative team was super cool with me. Like, it was an amazing process. It was, hey, what do you think of this? We want it to be authentic to where you come from. And it, that, that is the most important thing to us. So they actually worked super hard. Like, they hired a calligraphist. The, we, we, we bought this logo from the designer of my tights. <laughs> like, the tights, for example, like the in-ring gear, that's all me. I, I have complete freedom over what I get to wear. Um, and the only thing is that one time I went out to TV with tights, and I was, they said, hey, Hunter says you should wear like a jacket. <laughs> I was like, okay, I will get a jacket tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah, he wants to have me to have like cool entrance gear, you yeah. know, which of course I understand. So sometimes they'll give you advice like that. But for the most part, people get their own gear. Uh, music is interesting because unless you're like a really big deal, mm. they, they'll make music for you, obviously, sure. if you are a really big deal. But when I was first starting, they were like, hey, you need music because you're going to be wrestling at these shows. So we have this database of royalty-free music, and mm -hmm. it's like tens of thousands. Like, there's so many songs, and I would spend hours at a computer at the performance it's center. It's a massive thing. It is. It really is. I was like, God, I just I don't want a generic rock song mm -hmm. because I had that when I first started, and I was like, this sucks. Because if you don't like the song you come out to, it instantly puts a damp. Uh, it dampens your mood sure. before you 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 need to get hyped. You need to feel like. When I'm coming out to the ring, I'm a rock star. Like, I feel cool. Mm. But if I was coming out to... And I came out, I was like... Nah, yeah. I'm a big superstar. Yeah. 
So you need to feel confident. Proto- the prototype one, right? Yeah. Just your character. Like, it's velocity. <laughs> Two guys are coming out, and they're going to have a sweet five-minute match. Not even. Don't even get the entrance. No, yeah, they're in the ring. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they're just standing there. They get a funny name. Uh, yeah, so I got to pick the music, but um, hopefully one day we get to actually curate something that I think is, is more unique to me. Cool. Um, and as far as character goes, that's really interesting. Because right now my character is very much representative of what I've done at the Saudi shows, mm-hmm. which of course is understandable. I can't come out with this wild and crazy. I can't become Mantar. <laughs> you know what nice. I mean? Uh, Giant Gonzalez. Exactly. Yeah. I can't wear a, a bodysuit and like walk around. Uh, you know, people are always like, "Oh, what's your character? What's your gimmick? Like, what are you, a, a plumber?" Or a yeah. <laughs> a it was dentist? easier in the eighties. Yeah. yeah. Evil dentist. Evil and plumber. I have to be like, I'm just a very. Uh, fortunate, hardworking guy. And people are like, that's lame. And I was like, well, I think characters in today's times, because things are more realistic and more um, relatable, um, they're formed and developed through storylines on television. I think that much like any serial TV drama or series, the nature of a character changes depending on the events that happen to them in the series. Mm. So every episode, they should either learn something about themselves or about their the world that they live in Mm -hmm. that affects the way they think and behave Um, because the writers who write WD television they're writers who write for other television shows they have experience with that and I think the same philosophy should be applied because you want to see the growth I always said the thing that was so because uh, I did a lot of plays like in high school I studied theater in Mm -hmm. college acting classes because I knew that that was going to help me tremendously with uh, wrestling and somebody was like why do you like wrestling so much more than acting it's the same thing and I was like it's not the same thing because there's been a million Romeos, there's been a million Juliets, but there's only one Jeff Hardy. Right. There's, you know, there's only right. one Daniel Bryan. And what's cool is that for all the times you see Macbeth mm. and everybody has their different take on Macbeth, mm. you can watch the career of Daniel Bryan from the day he started as the American Dragon in Shawn Michaels' school yeah. to what he's doing today. And that spans an entire, I mean, like a, a decade maybe, yeah, or maybe, maybe yeah. more, probably longer. So it's a character that grows for a decade more than, a de- and in the case of the Hardys, like even more. Mm. Like you get to see the character development as you grow. Mm. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Like that's incredible because it's, it's long form storytelling that's intrinsically linked to who you are as a person. Because mm. as you change characters, you're also changing as a person. Mm. I just think it's fascinating. And the Daniel Bryan thing's a massive, it's a great example because he had the ability to resonate and get over with the fans in the most cultural shifting way as, as a good guy. Yeah. And, and then as a heel can get all that love and literally get in there and everyone boos him on, on a, on a drop of a dime on a, on a, on a turn. Amazing. And, and that just shows the intricacy of the character and the actual, the, the, the connection that he has with the audience. Absolutely. And to actually get that, I mean, everyone wants to succeed, you know, as a, as a guy, but like that must be the, the biggest enigma in the, in, in the industry, you know, why that guy? How did he connect? And how don't I connect? Or how do I connect? Or I'm working well on that. We need to double down on that. Um, that that's, must be an endless puzzle, right? I mean, when you're one of the best wrestlers in the world, mm. if not the best wrestler in the world, mm. and you get everybody to boo you, that's a feat within itself. Mm. Because we're so... Uh, audiences today appreciate so much how hard people work now. So they want to reward that by cheering them. Mm. So whether you're a babyface or, more often, a heel... 
people will actually be more supportive. Mm. So for someone who is the most beloved babyface in the world, like Daniel Bryan, mm. in 2013 when he was on top of the world, to coming back from retirement, not necessarily knowing that he would ever wrestle again, mm. and having the support and love from the fans to becoming someone who is unanimously you know, booed, mm. especially with such a great foil like Kofi Kingston, mm. I mean, that's, man, that's just what, that's why we do what we do. And that's talent. And, you know, I think Daniel Bryan is another great example because through character change, he was able to enamor the fans in a completely new way. Because you remember Team Hell No with Kane. And that was when things really changed, I think, in terms of his momentum in the company because people started seeing him not only as an amazing wrestler, but as an amazing character Mm -hmm. who underwent changes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had this relationship with Kane, this very odd couple relationship. And through that, there was the whole storyline where he was the weak link and people said they couldn't beat the shield because he was the weak one. So he had to overcompensate. And in his overcompensation, he worked so much harder and became the person that he ended up being and then ultimately settled in who he was and accepted who he was for Mm -hmm. himself. I mean, that's like, that's amazing. And even if people don't necessarily talk about it in a way that is like analytical, they feel it subconsciously. Because in my opinion, you can be the best wrestler in the world, but if you don't connect to people on an emotional level, you just can't reach the same success. I'm aware that we're probably running out of time. So I just wanted to, you mentioned that, you know, uh, if you're the best wrestling in the world, you could work with anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, Who, who do you have on your kind of list of people that you'd want to work with? If you could kind of plot your, your career and there's so many people, but I think for me, I would really want to wrestle Daniel Bryan, of course, for obvious reasons. Mm. Um, I would want to wrestle Ali because he's, been, not only is he an amazing wrestler, he's just been so helpful to me. Sure. Um, I really want to wrestle Kushida in NXT because he's amazing, and I've always really respected technical, like ground mat-based styles. Mm-hmm. And I really, want, I think the best way to learn is by doing, and by facing someone who who you kind of look up to and see as someone who exemplifies, you know, quality like that. Sami Zayn is someone who I really want to wrestle as well. Um, Kofi Kingston. Mm. Uh, I always get comparisons to Seth Rollins, okay. so I think that's a match that people want to see. I mean, physically, I get it. I mean, you know, he is definitely more both, jacked for sure. Yeah, but uh, well, I get I get him and Ali a lot. I guess, yeah. So it's the long black hair and the beard. That's what it is. Yeah, There's it is. a lot of guys who do yeah. that now. I'm thinking about cutting my hair actually. Uh, you see, that was the thing for me. It was like wrestlers had long hair. Wrestlers were cool enough to have long hair when I was growing up. You right, know, and everybody Michaels, else. Triple yeah. H, Jericho. I know, I know. And I, if you didn't, it was nothing. It was like stone cold. Yeah, bald. Bald. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. So I, I have to think about how to kind of change up my look so that I'm a little more unique. Uh, Cesaro is one of the best wrestlers in the world. That'd be really cool too. Mm. Our rosters are so stacked. Yeah. Like that's the thing people I think take for granted. Sure. We have so much talent. NXT UK, NXT, Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live is super underrated. Yeah. Like the talent that is on 205 Live is amazing yeah. and, com- and is almost always overlooked. Yeah. Drew Gulak is incredibly underrated. Yeah. I mean, he, he's someone who comes to the Performance Center and often is helping us. And he, just the things that he knows is just, I would love to wrestle him. There's, I mean, a lot of really, really great performers. Um, I know that, uh, I know that as, as of now, the the next Saudi show hasn't been announced, but I'm uh, I, I'm assuming there'll be one before the end of the year, um, you know, maybe in October, maybe in November time. I'm sure we'll all hear soon enough. But so we're excited to see what happens there, especially with with you. We're excited to kind of see 
uh, NXT now having, you know, in the US having mm -hmm. TV time, being a live show, which must is massively exciting. You know, what can we, what is your goal for the next, say, 12 months, personally? I'm so excited for NXT going to USA, more than it being on national TV, which is amazing, of course, it being two hours. Because now you have the opportunity for people to really show what they can do. You have that whole extra hour on top of the previously established stars like your Adam Coles, your Johnny Gargano's, your, your Matt Riddles. Now you have an extra hour for people who people don't necessarily know to be as great as they are. Uh, like I said, I, I have so much that I want to show the world. Like I, I remember when I won the Battle Royal at Super Showdown, when people were saying, who is this guy? Like... Oh God, I just really want to prove you like wrong. Like I want to show you that, man, you should have jumped on the bandwagon real sooner because uh, there's so many things I want to do. In the, in the next year, I want to be someone who people are so familiar with because of my work on NXT that when I come to these Saudi shows, it's like there's nothing strange about it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's Mansoor. He's a, he's a he's a star. It doesn't feel like a token. It's just exactly. Like it's just part of the. It's part. He fits in there with the best wrestlers in the world. That's what I've always wanted. Awesome. Well, Mansoor, man, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure. Uh, Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you around here real soon. And best of luck. Thank you. Well, that has been another edition of the Esquire Q&A podcast. If you liked what you heard, just rate us, leave comments, and let us know on your favorite or preferred podcasting app. Uh, genuinely, your feedback does make a lot of difference. Let us know if there's any particular people that uh, you'd like us to talk to, and, uh, and remember to keep checking back. Thanks for dropping by.